Amen. Amen. You feel that? We're in the will of God. What's happening right now, what we're doing, what is happening, we're in the perfect will of God. And I just love being in his presence with people that are in the will of God. Thank you so much for worshiping our great king. Amen. Amen. I feel to take us to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to go to verse 28. I absolutely love the leadership of this church. Brother Brown has become one of my good friends. Brother Jared and I have laughed this week, and I'm so thankful that he and I are becoming good friends. I absolutely love his passion. I told him this week, I have yet in six years of traveling had anyone invite me to their home for dinner and sit in the living room and say, let's pray. It's the first time it's happened in six years, and we had a prayer meeting right there in his living room, and the power of God fell, and I am so thankful to be around true men of God, women of God. I'm so, so blessed. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful to be here with all of you. I feel God has shown me some things that are coming, and so I'm, I'm not a hype preacher. Anybody who knows me in this room knows I'm definitely not a hype preacher, but I feel something on me today that may fall into that category, but not hype for the sake of hype. I believe, I feel faith on me. And so I want to use that word, I feel faith on me. And there's a reason why I feel it. There's a passage in the Bible about Hagar. She was given a prophetic word about her son Ishmael. And then she's cast out. And the Bible says that Abraham gave her a bottle of water. And she's out wandering in the wilderness with her promise in her hands. And then all of a sudden the Bible says that the water ran out. And at that moment, we see that she places the, the baby down, and she goes off, as it were, a bow distance, and she just gives up. And heaven hears not her, the baby. Heaven responds to the promise that was crying. And God has spoken to me since about Friday for this service right here. And he's told me that there's a lot of prophetic word that's been given in this church that many of you haven't seen yet. And I don't feel like the water's empty. I don't feel that. But I feel like it's right there at the bottom. And you're, you're getting anxious of what are we going to do if those things which we've heard hasn't happened. What's that going to do to my faith? What's that going to do to everybody I told by faith that these things which we heard were going to happen? What's going to happen? And I want to prepare you for the water will run out. That's the will of God. It's, he wants to see what you're going to do when the water runs out. He wants to see if you'll still believe what he said, even when there's no water in the tank. And I feel that there are going to be some more problems come down the pipe in North America. And I believe God is going to allow it. And I believe that the church is going to go through some stuff. And I want to prepare you for that today, that you need to keep on believing what God said. I don't care what you see around you. You need to believe what God said. Okay, now that's, that's where we're headed today. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. I want to preach to us today, not yet, but already. Would you lift up your hands? I believe that God is going to prepare you for what is to come. And this church will be unmoved when it gets here. 
Not only that, but you will continue to march forward when all these things come, and you will multiply during that time. If you believe that, I want you to stretch your hands up as high as you can, and I want you to lift up those voices, and let's pray together. God, I give you thanks. I give you honor. Lord, everything that we could possibly want, we give it unto you today, Jesus. Father, I ask that you would help me today to operate in a dimension of faith. God, I want to operate in the way that you have designed me to operate on this very day, in this very moment. God, I can't rely on yesterday's anointing. I need today's anointing. So pour it on me fresh, as you did in the prayer room. Pour it again on me right now. God, I ask that you would partner with me as I begin to minister, and let it be your holy words, none of mine. Let it be all your words, none of my opinions. Let it be purely from the word of God. In the name of Jesus, whatever you do today, we'll give you glory for it. We won't take an ounce. We'll return it back to heaven because that's where it came from. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. And would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Would you lift up your voice, shout, dance, leap for joy, whatever you feel to do. Don't let me tell you what to do. Just do what you feel because we need to learn how to be led by his spirit. Father, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. If I were to artistically look at the life of Moses, there is obviously a large swath of time that you and I are not privy to in the life of Moses. And so if you will indulge me for a few moments to just artistically set a scene for you. The scene could have possibly taken place with an early morning as courageous rays of sunlight began to spill over the horizon It was the cascading blend of golden orange and pink hues over the landscape as night begins to give over its shift to the new day. You could hear the gentle sound of sheep that could be heard outside of a window as they're chewing the dew-covered grass and they let out that gentle ba. As the golden hue of morning light and sounds of sheep creep through a window of a humble hut, a man rises from his bed, and no doubt he begins to stretch out his arms. He gives out an involuntary very yawn, and he begins to prepare for his day as he grabs his leather handmade sandals, walks into the living area, and begins to prepare for his calling. He puts on his tunic. He straps on those sandals. And as he begins to get his meal prepared to watch sheep for the rest of the day, I imagine walking out, he hears the voice say, Moses, I know that it don't seem like it's a glorious task to have watched my father's sheep for the past 40 years. And I know you may have thought that being raised in a palace and somehow being delivered from the Nile River miraculously, I know that you must be thinking you're special. But don't be discouraged Maybe you watching my father's sheep for the past 40 years was for some divine reason. I imagine Moses smiles. He kisses his sweet wife, Zipporah, and looks at her and says, Who are we kidding? I'm just a stuttering shepherd. I've been watching somebody else's sheep. I thought that by the mere fact that I was delivered from mass genocide, I thought God maybe had his hand on me. Thought God thought I was something special. Why would God do all of that to deliver me? Was it just chance? It doesn't seem special to be out here. These aren't even my sheep, Zipporah. These are your father's sheep. 
Nevertheless, the task at hand has no respect for wishful thinking. As the hours of the day went by and the sun begins its journey to the opposite horizon, Moses begins the task of herding those sheep under his care back to safety. And on his way home, something's different today. He's herding the sheep back and it's likely afternoon because the ancient Near East gets too hot to stay out in the hottest part of the day. So he's herding them back to the herd. And as he's traveling, he sees something out of his peripheral that stops him cold in his tracks. He turns aside and he sees a bush burning. And something begins to call him. He begins to inquire of this. And gently he begins to approach this flame of fire. And as he gets within earshot, he hears a voice that he's never heard before. Moses! Moses, take your sandals off, for where you stand is holy ground. Terrified and in shock, he can't help but wonder, how does this bush know my name? I've never met this bush before. In trembling obedience to a voice he's never heard, to a voice he does not trust, he obeys, takes his sandals off, and he approaches this glorious light. And as he approached, the voice speaks again in Exodus 3. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord God said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptian oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. The word send is unique there because when you read the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, that word is apostello. He looks at Moses and says, I'm about to apostolic you. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now you have to understand that this is probably a very confusing statement because God has already told Moses... I have come down to deliver them. But then he looks at a mere mortal and he says, but I'm going to send you to do it. Wait, God, I thought you just said that you were going to come down and do it. God tells Moses, with a mighty right hand I will deliver my people. With an outstretched hand I will strike Egypt. And with an outstretched hand I will save the Israelites. And all of a sudden Moses is standing there and he Here's the voice of God say, stretch out your hand. Lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. And all of a sudden, these three times that he does, God moves through the hand of God. And we're left wondering, is it God's hand or Moses' hand? The answer is complex yet simple, yes. It will always be the hand of God. But for some reason, God decides to partner with human hands. It seems horribly inefficient, and it's arrogant of us to ask God why bad things happen. We should ask ourselves, why aren't we being the church? For we are his body, are we not? Why do bad things happen? I don't know. Why do you let them? 
If it's a God problem, then it's a body problem. Because God chose to partner with us for some reason. The God who needs nothing decided to need us. All the while doesn't need us but chose to. I don't understand God. I'm just glad that he does because the moment he doesn't need me, I'm no longer needed. Why then am I here? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And insecure Moses is having trouble understanding that the God of the universe was calling him. Who am I? Then God responds with something perplexing. I'll be with you. That is God's famous response to every question of who am I. He responds with not who we are, but with who he is. I'll be with you. Well, who am I? That's none of your concern. I'll be with you. And this shall be a sign. Hear this closely. Moses, here's going to be the sign that I have sent you, that I have apostolic you. Here's going to be the sign of your apostolic calling. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to serve me here on this mountain. Here's the sign that I'm with you, Moses, when you bring the people out. And a confused Moses is trying to wrap his head around this future speech that God says so confidently. I haven't even gone to Egypt yet, God. I haven't even said yes to this apostolic identity. I haven't even left this vicinity of this burning bush. And you're telling me that you already see me and the Israelites standing on this mountain? Is it prophecy? No. God is not prophesying. God is telling Moses what he's looking at in the present. God doesn't doubt. He says, I already see you coming out of Egypt and standing right here worshiping me. Moses, don't settle for the burning bush because if you will move on, you'll see mountains burn. Moses, don't settle. If you think the heat is real from the bush, you have not seen what you'll write someday in Exodus 19. Moses, you started this walk hiding your face from me. I see you begging me to show you my face in the future. Don't stay here. But God, how? what do you mean? He said, this is going to be the sign. There's no way that you can get Israel out of Egypt and back to this mountain unless I be with you. So this is the sign that when you make it to the future. I, I am aware that what I say is a great conundrum to us who are bound by this moment at 1201. Little did Moses know that the glory that was being revealed to him in a burning bush was only the introduction to the ultimate plan. Little did Moses know that the mediocre job of watching somebody else's sheep for 40 years was a divine setup to watch God's sheep for 40 years. All of it was a divine plan. And what felt mundane, what felt ordinary, and what felt not special was all a perfect setup with the hand of God was on him the whole time. And when God's voice was silent while looking over Jethro's sheep, all of it was a divine setup for what God would do. But what we get frustrated is the 40-year process. 
with no voice of God, no divine bush, no burning mountain, but then all of a sudden it starts ramping up all of a sudden when you step into the divine moment that God has designed that he spoke way back. It was on purpose, Moses, that I took you out of Egypt and you survived mass genocide. It wasn't something petty. I did that on purpose. And I know I've been silent for 40 years, and I know you've been doing what is mediocre for 40 years. All of that was the will of God. Moses, you don't know this. I'm calling you at the burning bush, but in the future, I already see you at a burning mountain. Moses, what you don't know yet is that mountain that's going to burn, it'll be the day of Pentecost before it's a thing. For it was on the third month and the third day. And those thunders and lightnings you're going to write about, that's languages actually in the original Hebrew. All of that is a setup. Moses, I'm not even going to let you see this part. You think a burning mountain is cool, 3,000 is going to burn later. All of this is a setup, but you don't feel important because of the moment at 1202. You're bound by time, Moses. I'm not. I see you as you'll be. But you're frustrated by what you are and what you have yet to see. Partner with the eternal God who's meeting you today at this glorious bush. The glory you have felt here is good, but you can't see it yet, Moses. Your face is going to shine in the future. The bush that you're enamored with it's going to get inside of you in the way, if you thought the bush, my fire. Have you noticed, Moses, that the bush is not consumed? If a bush can hold my presence and exhibit my voice, what can my image do? Moses, this is a setup. It's going to bring you from one dimension of glory to the next. The bush is only a small dimension of glory. Move from glory to glory. Move from bush to mountain to face shining to 3,000. All of it is a setup. Don't get stuck in the hour that you're in now. Go to Egypt. Be apostolic, Moses. Gideon dealt with the same insecurity as Moses. When an angel meets him while he's hiding inside of a wine press from the Midianites, and while hiding in a hole... An angel shows up. Now, let me, let me set the scene because sometimes the Bible can be strange to us. Do you understand that Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press, is the, the job is like way harder than it should be? <laughs> what you would do is you would take wheat, big stalks of wheat, and you would hit them on the ground. This was threshing. And the gleanings would fall off. And you would collect the gleanings, and a wind would come by, and it would blow away the thresh. And what was left was the fruit from your labor. But now the Midianites are coming and taking the food, and so they're having to hide. So Gideon has to take all of that wheat and put it in a wine press, and he's got to gently thresh it. And now the wind can't blow because it's in a hole, so he has to pick it up and carry it. He's doing far more work than he used to. It's like way harder now. And it's in this context that an angel of God has the audacity to meet with him and say this, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. You understand the gut-wrenching, frustrating part of that passage is that Gideon is doing things that he used to do much easier than he is now. The harvest was easier a year ago. And the harvest is frustratingly difficult. We're having to do things that we didn't have to do a year ago, and it's way harder. And what do you, what do you mean the Lord is with me? And why, why in the I'm hiding, can't you see? I'm in a hole. Mighty man of valor. 
What in the world? And Gideon, you can see Gideon's frustration in verse 13. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? He's referencing the mediocre man who had a burning bush experience who felt the same way he is in a hole. It was special for Moses. Oh, Gideon, did you forget so soon that the man you're referencing right here spent 40 years in the wilderness before ever stepping into his call? And all of that was a setup. What if the hole that you're in is also a setup? What if the harder work that you're doing in the hole is setting you up for the battlefield you'll be on in the future? What if you had no conditioning in your natural physical body until God took away the easiness of the harvest and gave you the hardship of the hole to build the muscular fortitude that you would need for the calling he has in the future? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. It's a mighty man of valor, isn't it? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. <laughs> Why has God forsaken us? Go in this strength of yours, Gideon. Do you, you see how frustrating this can be? The angel's not even addressing his emotions. You're not even, you're not even addressing the way I feel. I'm not here for your feelings. I'm here for your future. You're frustrated by how you feel in a hole. I'm not here to patty cake you. I'm not here to pat you on the back and say, good job being frustrated in the hole. I'm not looking and focusing on your feelings. You are. I'm looking at you as you are in the future. We know, we have heard, God has told me what you're going to be, Gideon. He told me that he's already seen you on a field with 300 men. I'm speaking to what we have already seen in the heavenly realm. We've seen you be bold enough to reduce the armies down to 300 at the bidding of God. And you took those 300 and broke them up into three companies of 100. We've already seen that you're bold enough to do it in the future. That's why I'm not focusing on your feelings right now. Go in this might of yours that we've seen in your future. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And listen to what God says. It's going to sound familiar. Surely I will be with you. Are you seeing a pattern? This is not about your feelings, Gideon. I acknowledge your feelings. I know they're real, but I'm not even going to entertain them. I'll listen to them, but I won't respond to your feelings. You have got to get this undeniable biblical truth right now that when you go to God with those feelings, he knows them, he recognizes them, he does not demonize them, but he's not going to patty cake them. He's going to continue speaking, but the future, but the future, but the future. I've seen what you can be. I didn't waste my time on you. I called you for a reason. I know how you feel, but look at the future. Hold on to the word to which I told you, even though you're not seeing it at 1209. Gideon, I don't just see you in the whole afraid. I see you also as a mighty man of valor in the battlefield in the future. Except it's not the future for me. 
because I'm looking at it in my present. This is why Paul could say what he did in Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. Okay? Future. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, catch this, keep up, here it comes, to those who he predestined, future, these he also called, past. The Greek switches from future tense to past tense all in the same sentence. To those whom he knew in the future, those he called. Whom he called, these he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Wait a minute, I haven't been glorified yet. To those to whom I predestined, those I called. Moses was called at the bush, justified at the mountain, and glorified when his face came down from the mountain. And at the burning bush, he says, I've already predestined you to be called here at the bush to be justified at the mountain, and to be glorified when you come down from the mountain. Your future is glory, but you can't see it right now because you feel mundane. And so we abort glory because of feelings. We abort glory because of pandemics. We abort glory because of politics. God is looking at the future church, and I'm going to zoom in on the individual within the church. God did not waste his time filling you with the Holy Ghost just to let us sit here and have feelings. He filled us with his spirit to have future, and the future, this is encompassing for all in Romans 8, is glory. And I don't know about you, I haven't seen my face shine yet. So I cannot settle for a burning bush prayer meeting or a burning mountain youth congress when I know that what has been foreordained is glory all over me. There is something that God has promised over A.J. Holloway that the adversary has swooped down and has tried to leech out of me and say, you're never going to see this, you're never going to do this. I have had dreams of laying hands on people and blinded eyes open. And I remind God every day, God, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm not going to get here caught up in my feelings. What I want to do is I'm going to fight until I see that thing. But God, if I never even see it, I'm still going to pursue it because what I want more than that, what I want more than miracles is I want your glory. I have my eyes set on my face shining with glory. We have got to get out of our feelings. It's okay. Listen, let me help you with what your feelings are. They're lights on the dashboard of your soul. Telling you that there's a problem in the engine. That's what your feelings are for. They're not demonized. That's what you bring to God to do the work to get to the future. But we let our feelings prophesy to us. Rather than the God of the universe who's standing in our present and future at the same time. Moses speaks, or Paul speaks of the future, but he uses past tense verbs. In the future, you have been called. In the future, you already have been justified. In the future, you have already been glorified. But I haven't yet. Oh, but you have already. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but I have. You see, we're we're stuck in the not yet, and God's already living in the already. Let, Let me help you with this. 
I know this is a complex thing. Imagine a big clock, okay? Not, not a digital clock, the one on your iPhone. I'm talking like the old school hour hand, minute hand, you know the one, you know, like typewriters, all that stuff. The big hour hand. So imagine you and me. We're stuck at the end of the hour hand. That's where you and I live. We can never go back to 1202. We can't fast forward to 1215. We're stuck at 1213 right now. This is our home. Get comfortable with it. This is where we live. So what we do is we, we are frustrated because we can't change the past and we can't control the future. So we get in despair and we crawl into the hole and get all caught up in our feelings. If I wouldn't have, stop, you can't go back. Stop talking about it. Is God really going to? Did he tell you? Then he's going to. Stop fretting about 1216. God, however, travel up the, the hour hand to the dot in the middle. That's God's house. He can see all of time at a glance. Heaven is not a place, eternity is not a thing where time just keeps going on forever. Eternity is a place where time is laid out like a tape measure. For example... In this room, I can, I can tell you there's probably 30 feet from side to side, and it's probably 90 feet from front to back, give or take. And I don't know how tall that is. That's really tall. But however tall that is, how tall is that? 40 feet. All right. Well, that may not be 100 feet then. I was way off on that. But anyway, this room is fixed. For us, this is established, Right? I can go from there to there, from there to there. It's established. I can lay out a tape measure, and I can measure it. However, God, in his domain, he has four measurable distances. From there to there is about 30 years, and from there to there is about 40 years. And right now, he can stand in the room and say, I can see you already with your face shining. What he does in a powerful service is he picks us up out of this time, and he places us for a brief moment into the eternal when we're lost in the Holy Ghost, and we get glimpses of what will be, and then he slams us back at the end of the hour hand, and we're stuck here. Are we really going to see what I just saw in the heavenly realm? It's not a possibility or a prophecy. It is absolute if you're obedient. What he showed you will be if you stay where you are and obey what God has told you at 1217. We've got an obedience problem because we've got a feelings problem. And we have churches that are should be at a certain place at 1217, but we're still stuck because we don't have enough belief to get what's supposed to happen to us right now, and we're missing our moments because of our feelings. There is glory on its way. I will tell you this. There are problems. God has lifted me up out of time, and I have seen that there are problems coming to North America. And I said, God, what, what do you want me to do with this? He said, tell my church to prepare herself and to make sure that everything is in place and to keep pursuing glory. Tell her not to fret about the problems because I'm going to bring about the greatest glory through my church during the time of problems. And when those problems come, tell my church not to let go of what I said. 
You and I are walking into prophetic realms in the coming months. I feel that things are stirring right now prophetically in our nation. And what it's going to do is if you get caught up in your feelings and you keep watching Fox and CNN, you're going to look at that and say, I don't see it. I don't know how it's going to happen. Get out of the feelings. Get out of the media. Take a step back and say, God, I'm going to hold on to what you said and what you showed me. And that brings up another point. You need a word from God. You need God to speak something over your life. It's not enough to just speak it over the leadership. What they do is they speak the broad vision, but you need to speak the personal vision to make that broad vision happen. What you have said, I'm going to participate with in my own context to make your vision come to pass. And you need to put faith in the prophecy that was given over this church. Because problems will come, and when they do, they're going to try to leach out of you the promise. Well, does this mean that I'm predestined to be victorious no matter what? Nope. Prophecies are supposed to have participants. You don't get to be rebellion and, and have all that come to pass. Let me prove it to you. 1 Samuel 13, 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever. Would have. It was ordained, Saul, for you to have this lineage but now your kingdom shall not continue. Listen to the would have and the now. Your kingdom would have been established, but now it's not going to continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. It was foreordained, Saul. And you decided that you wanted to do it your way instead. And so that future thing isn't going to, it's going to happen, just not with you. I say woe to the apostolic church that if we don't get our stuff together, then what's going to happen is God's going to go find a whole other people group. I'm telling you, he's done it already. You know our favorite scripture that we sing during, we, we quote during worship service? If you don't praise him, these rocks will cry out. That's not talking about that. He uses the word lithos, not petros. Petros means random stone on the side of the road. He doesn't use that word. He uses the Greek word for brick. He's looking at the house of Israel, and he says, House of Israel, if you won't praise me, i got a pile of bricks over there I'll build another house with. I'll move on to the Gentiles if you won't do it. My prophecy is going to come to pass with or without you. I don't know about you, but if I have seen the bush burn, I am going to push until I see the mountain. And when I see the mountain, I want to climb it, and I want to come down with my face shining. I don't want to settle for Patty Pentecost and Peter Pentecost. What I want is every ounce of glory that's allowed to me. I want to push into it with everything I've got. They don't have to call you. They shouldn't have to call you into all-night prayer meetings. There should be something within us that says, I want what's been spoken over my life. I'm going to give up anything I need to give up, and I'm going to run after everything I need to run after in order to see that prophetic future that has been called for me. There's going to be a zeal that comes over us that's fire within us that says, I've got to see what God has said. And it doesn't matter if problems come my way. When the feelings come, I'm going to listen to them, analyze the problem, then cast down those feelings and fix my eyes on the promise. 
I am here to tell you that I felt it on Friday that there are prophecies hovering over Jesus' church that you haven't seen come to pass yet. And you've wondered, what's going to happen? What are we going to do if it doesn't happen? That is not your concern. If God said it, then it's going to happen. So what we have to do is we have to partner with what God said until it comes to pass. Let me tell you this story. This is, again, I'm not a guy who just reads the Bible looking for sermons. God ministers to me in my life, and I minister from my life's sermons. This has been preached to me first. In 2019, after our son passed away in 2017, it was around 2018, Brother Mark, we found out that we were, well, before we found out we were pregnant, I was in my, in my house praying. My wife was away in Maryland visiting her grandmother. And I was just walking and praying, and I was just trying to feel the presence of God. And God spoke to me, and he said, your wife's pregnant, and y'all are having a boy. I said, God, why are you telling me this? He said, oh, I need you to hear it from me and nobody else. I said, okay. So I did as any rational human being would do. I've made up my mind. I'm going to take my wife to another broken egg, our, fam- our favorite breakfast place, and I'm going to tell her tomorrow she's pregnant. You know, that's, that's what you do, right? That's what you do. And so she came in, she sat down on the couch, it was Friday night, and I was getting ready, I had all my plans, I was going to bring her to breakfast, and she sits down and she ruins the whole thing. She was like, babe, I have something to tell you. I said, don't tell me, I already know what it is. She was like, I don't think you do. I said, you're pregnant. She started sobbing. She said, how can you know that? She said, I found out today. I said, God met with me this afternoon in prayer and told me you were. She said, what else did God tell you? I said, you're going to, we're going to have a boy. And so my wife's so precious, she's just like, okay, cool. That's that. It's all fun and games, though, until you get to week 17 of the pregnancy. We're having complications in the pregnancy. We thought we were going to lose the baby. So we went in for an ultrasound. Week 17, okay. They do the ultrasound. They tell us, they say, hey, the baby's healthy. And we, we rejoiced in that room. But then they said, congratulations, it's a beautiful baby girl. Now, You have to understand context. We're living a lifestyle where we have lost everything we've owned and we've lost our child just about eight months prior to this moment. You may be thinking, get it together, bro. You got half of it right. She was pregnant. You just got the boy-girl thing wrong. I didn't think I could hear the voice of God and I didn't think I was even called anymore. So to only get half of it right, I fell to pieces. I got all caught up in my feelings. I got so depressed. I don't know the voice of God. I turned in my license. I went to my pastor and I said, I have no business hearing from God for people if I can't hear God for myself. And I quit. I did. So I understand getting caught up in your feelings. So before you think I'm picking on that, know that I've already had to shut it down in myself, okay? So there I am. I'm all caught up in my feelings. Joe Campatella called me one day, and he said, you've heard from God. I started climbing up a little bit, started coming out of the hole. Finally, one day, my wife and I are discussing girl names, and I just, I don't know what came over. I'm pretty stubborn. I'm pretty sure that's where it came out. I don't think it was the Holy Ghost. I think it was mostly AJ. And I just, I lifted my hand. I said, we're not discussing any more girl names. My wife looked at me and she said, babe, come on, don't do this. I said, no. I said, we're going to wait and see if the, I believe the doctors are wrong. <laughs> I refuse. I believe what God said, not what they said. And my, my wife was like, babe, we have an ultrasound. I said, I don't care. 
I refuse. And you can look at me and say I was irrational. You can look at me and say I'm stubborn. That's all true. But I was holding on to something. I just said, God, I have to hold on to what you said. I believe what you said. We started having more complications. My wife went to the hospital again, emergency complications. And she called me. I was at the church working. And she called me. And I picked up the phone. She said, babe, are you at the office? I said, yes. She goes, stay there. I'm coming. I need to tell you something. She hung up. I'm still mad at her about this. I was like, we lost the baby. That's where my, my frame of mind was. In the meantime, I told my pastor these things. And he said, that's what I told you. That's what you got to watch out when you start saying, let's say it the Lord. What if you're wrong? And so I'm like falling deeper and deeper into the hole. My wife comes in and she's got an ultrasound against her chest and she's crying. And I was like, there it is. We lost the baby. She put that ultrasound on the desk and in big bold letters it said, congratulations, it's a boy. I looked at her and I said, this is the sickest joke you've ever played. She said, I had him check five times. I told him, I cannot go and show my husband this unless you're absolutely right. I said, what happened? She said, I asked the doctors this. They don't know what happened. You understand, you don't miss the gender of the baby at 17 weeks. You can know what the baby is at 15 weeks. I have two ultrasounds sitting in my house today. One, I've showed it to doctors, and they said, oh, that's a girl. I said, then tell, tell me why I have a boy sitting here. Tell me what happened. No doctor can tell me. They've tried to toss out different things. They say, well, it could have been a, just a little problem in the, in the machine. I went to Dr. Eileen, our doctor, and she said, I assure you, we don't know what happened. We've never had this. You're the first, and you've been the last. I talked to her just recently with our last child that was born, and we, did, we decided not to know the gender of our last child. And she looked at me, and she said, is this because we blew it last time? I got so mad, I went into the prayer room with an ultrasound, two ultrasounds, and I said, God, what do you think you're doing to me? This is, this is cruel. God, we, haven't we been through enough? Haven't we been through enough? I'm still here faithfully living for you. Isn't that enough to show you anything? Why would you let me go through the roller coaster? Why wouldn't you just let it be a boy when you told me it was a boy? Why did you do all of this? Because it, you allowed it. And God spoke as clear as day to me. He said, I wanted to see if you'd believe what I said. Even if all earthly evidence said it wasn't true. He said, because this is what prophecy will feel like when you speak what I tell you. I won't always let you see it in the immediate. And you're going to have to trust that it was in the Holy Ghost. Even Peter said, this promise is unto you and to those that are far off. And then had a hard time reaching the Gentiles. He said something under the anointing of the Holy Ghost that he had to come into alignment with later. That he didn't have in his feelings, but it was prophetically coming out of him. And God had to still convince him in Acts 19 or Acts 9 to go and preach to Cornelius. I thought you said that this promise was to all that are far off Peter that's the future come into alignment with it even though you're frustrated about the present God is calling you put that picture up there for me I'm coming to a close this is a famous painting that was in the Louvre in Paris it's called checkmate the author depicts the devil playing just some wretched soul and the wretched soul is playing the adversary for his soul. Whoever wins keeps the soul. And in this point, the adversary is clearly winning in its checkmate. Until one day a chess master walks into the Louvre. And he analyzes this painting for hours. In fact, I have a friend in California who's a chess master. And I showed him this painting. And he analyzed it, Brother Brown. He's looking over it. And he said these. I said, is this true? Before I start preaching this, I said, is this true? He looked at me. He said, it's not checkmate. He said, there's one move left. 
The story is that this chess master was in this museum and he calls the curator. He says, come here. You cannot call this picture checkmate because there's a move left on the table. He said, the young man has one last move. They said, well, which piece has the move? He said, his king has a move left. I'm here to tell you I don't care what it looks like right now. And I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm trying to grab those prophecies and grab them as tight as I can and pull them back from heaven and put them back into your soul and tell you what he told you is not a lie. If he told you growth, growth is the future. And you're going to have to figure out how to get over the feelings until you get to the future. If he told you deep anointings, if he told you the manifestation of the gifts would be in every church service, even on Wednesdays and Sundays and in Bible studies, if that's what he spoke to you, then that is your future. And you're going to have to lift up your hands and say, God, I believe what you said, even if all earthly evidence says it's never going to happen. And there's going to have to be a time in the church where we hold on to these things because everything's going to come against the church. This is why Matthew says to those that endure to the end, which tells me we're going to have to go through something. So I'm trying to impart to you some faith right now and not some of that little petty faith that gets you your blessing. I'm talking about faith that helps you take another step until you get to the mountain. And I don't want you to stop at the mountain. Climb that mountain. And when you go up there, let you Stop saying, oh God, I'm not enough to see your face. Somebody's going to have to climb that mountain and say, I know that I said way back then not to show me your face. But today, I'm begging you, show me your face. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. This church has so much prophecy in it. I could cut it with a knife. What you need to do is a body of believers right here in South Dakota. God has spoken over us that we're going to have mass revival sweep across this state. This is a hub of prophetic anointing right here in this state. And it's going to have to happen through individuals. It doesn't just happen because you want it to. It happens because because he said it would. But don't forget that he partners with human hands to bring it about. So somebody has to go to Egypt. Somebody has to stand before Pharaoh. Somebody has to pull two million Jews out. Somebody has to trust the waters will part. Somebody's got to believe that the fire will fall on the mountain. Somebody's got to climb the mountain. You don't get any of those until you walk. Set your eyes on the future. What's coming in the next six months in America? Get your eyes off of that. Don't look at that. Don't look at the economy. Don't look at the housing market. Don't look at that. If God told you, I'm going to buy you a house, that's what he said. If God said, I'm going to give you a car, that's what he said. If God said, I'm going to bless your home, that's what he said. If God said he was going to reach your family, he didn't stutter. Moses did, but God didn't. I want you to get it right now. Come on, somebody's moving up to the middle of the hour hand right now. Go to the dot in the middle and let God show you all of time. And let him him tell you, I've got this figured out. I know what I'm doing. I know what I said. It wasn't just hopeful thinking for me. I was looking at you in your future for those to whom I foreknew. Them did I call, and I called you, didn't I? I've already fulfilled that much of the prophecy. So if I called you, I'll justify you. And if I'll justify you... 
I will glorify you. You don't have to justify yourself. God's going to do it for you. You don't have to defend yourself. God's going to defend you. You don't have to glorify yourself. God will glorify you. You don't have to lift yourself up. God will do that. You don't have to fight your battles. God will do that. You don't have to do anything but just be obedient to the voice of God. I want you to come to these altars right now, the whole body, all the body of believers in this room. I want you to come to this altar. I've got one last bit of proof to prove to you biblically, not emotionally, not opinion. I want to show you Bible that God stands in the present as well as the future. Brother Chemist, can you tell me the first man who went on a 40-day fast? Moses. Who was the second man? Elijah. Both of them went up to mountains. Moses went up to the mountains, saw the hinder parts of God after a 40-day fast, right? Elijah went up to the mountain, heard the still small voice, right? Fast forward. Those two episodes happened about 800 to 900 years apart. Now fast forward another 1,200 years into the future. Jesus goes up to the mountain. Who's with him? Was that a reunion from heaven? Or did Moses, when he went up to that mountain, did he step into the realm where time is laid out like a measurement? And while standing there, about 900 years in the future, another man goes up to a mountain and he hears the still small voice. Did Moses see the back of Jesus in the Gospels? And did Elijah hear the voice of Jesus in the Gospels? It happened across time for us. But for them, they stepped out of this time into the eternal. And they were with the God of the universe. And there they were all together at the same time. God is standing right now with his right foot in Revelation and his left foot in Genesis. And everything in between, he sees it. And he sees, I see your hunger, I know your zeal. Everything you want, there's a reason why it's inside of you. There's a reason why I'm the one who put that inside of you. You didn't create a burden and desire to have more of God because you just wanted to have it. I'm the one who put it inside of you. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, that seed was planted inside of you. So if you have that burden for more, guess what you're going to have? Do you think you generated a desire to plant churches? Did you, do you think that you generated that desire that you just woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'm going to do this whole apostle thing, and when I travel, I'm going to do this prophet thing. Do you think that that just happened one day because you just decided you wanted to? No, when you got filled with the Holy Ghost, a seed was planted inside your soul, and there's something that you just can't let go of. There's something you can't deny. You can't walk away from it. If God planted that in there, then that means that it's going to grow into the fullness of what it was supposed to be, and there's no stopping it. Everything that's within you, that burden you have, God is the one who put it inside of the vessel. And God doesn't put burdens inside of vessels for you to stay frustrated. He plants for growth. It's kind of his thing. So what's in there will be what you have a burden for it to be at its time and in its season. 
so you can take this to the bank today. That there is a living prophecy birthed within you that when you lift those hands, you say, God, I have not seen what I have the burden for yet, but you're the one who put the burden in me. And I don't believe that you're going to put seed in the ground and just leave it there and never water it and never see it grow. So if it's in there, it will be what you have put a burden in it to be. And it will turn into what it should be. Paul said this. He says, we don't know. He said, it's kind of like plants. Who knows that when you put that seed, it goes in the ground. And when that seed dies, it becomes what it was always designed to be. And he speaks of us in this parable. He says, that's how we are, that when God plants us. But here's what I know about seed, according to Jesus. That when he sows the word, the birds of the air, which he says the evil ones come down and try to take that seed. And there is an adversary that I have seen sweeping through the church. And he is strong right now. He's going from place to place and person to person. And he's trying to take the word out of people's lives. Nope, that prophecy is never going to happen. That word, that burden is never going to come to fruition. You're never going to deliver those people. You're never going to plant that church. You have to justify yourself, fight for yourself, defend yourself, say this, do that. And that adversary is trying to swoop down. And there are birds that are coming down. It's the prince and power of the air. It's coming and just lashing at the soil of our fields and callings. I am here today with anointing from heaven to shoo away those birds and to speak over you the anointing from God that what God has said he said it you can take it to the bank it's going to happen get out of the feelings lift up your hands and proclaim it right now there's going to be a proclamation over this church you're going to get a fresh word even right now there's going to be a word that comes into your life let God talk to you let God give you a burden let God give you a ministry let God begin to speak over you some things right now and don't just hear it believe it establish it nourish it it may not happen yet but it has already it's already taken place in heaven it's already a heavenly reality we're just waiting until the hour hand gets to the right season and everything he said to us comes into this realm Stir up that faith. Stir up your faith. You do that by looking in the past at everything that God has already done. You stir up your faith when you look at everything he's done for you in the past. And when you see what he's done in the past, you turn around to the future and you use the faith from the past and you hope. There's hope in this room right now. There's going to be a dimension of hope that descends upon you. Look at the past and everything that he has done. And then turn around and proclaim to the future with hope in your soul. What God said, he said, I believe it. There's no denying it. I'm not letting go of it. Do like Hagar right now. The promise is crying out. Hagar, go get the baby. Go pick the baby up. Go pick the baby up. And Hagar went over there and grabbed that child. And when she did, a whale came up out of the ground and began to fill up the water that was empty. Ha-da-bo-ra-da-da-ba-ba-sha-ta-da-da-ba-ra-da-da-ba-ha. 
call him to remembrance right now and say, God, this is what you said to me in 2017. God, this is the burden you gave me. God, this is what you spoke over me. God, this is what you said over South Dakota. God, this is what you said over this church. God, this is what you said over my family. This is what you said over my home. I'm reminding you of it, not that you have forgotten, but I'm letting you know that I haven't forgotten. You're not reminding him. You're letting him know that you're still holding on to it. And when God sees that kind of belief, angels come into the room and they begin to nourish you. There's waters coming up through the ground right now in the spirit realm. There's wells beginning to crop up in this church and it's replenishing you right now. I can promise you this, that what God told you, it will happen. I know that because I've seen it already. He's done it for me, and he's no respecter of persons. So if he did it for me, he's going to do it for you.